Our reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 9, and this is from the NASB. Behold my servant, in whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Please be seated. Good morning, church family. As you are um, savoring that portrait from Isaiah's prophecy, this portrait of our Savior and King Jesus, I wonder how many of you still, does anybody still carry family photos around in their wallet? Anybody still do that? We had three in the first service. I'm just checking to see. Cell phones have kind of replaced that. I remember I used to um, keep pictures of our two kids in my wallet, a picture of Pam in my wallet, and why did I do that? A couple, a couple of real obvious reasons. I really wanted to show others. I, re I remember years ago working in the newsroom, and I, I used to show my reporters the latest kid pictures from my wallet and I had a little ledger that I kept and they would sign their initials that they had seen the photos and, and made some kind of appropriate comment, you know. Um, we keep pictures of those whom we love. We, we want to share them. You know, there was another reason I kept those pictures in my wallet. The cell phone does the same job, really, but, you know, when I'm away from my family, I want to... I want to see them. I want to, I want to savor those pictures for myself. It, it encourages me to be able to remember my family in that way. And I, and I mention that because we have just heard read to us uh, from the book of Isaiah uh, what is probably the most beautiful picture of our King, our Savior, Jesus, in all of Scripture. And God comes to us in his word this morning and he says, behold, my servant. In other, in other words, look upon 
Christ. Keep, keep your gaze upon Christ. Don't, don't look away quickly. Look upon him and be encouraged. That this, this picture of Christ that, that is echoed in Matthew's gospel is, is one that we want to carry in our hearts, friends, because we want to be those who represent Christ rightly in our community. We live in a world where people want to know who Jesus is. We live in a world whose, whose people sometimes will even ask, well, what is God like? And we have this beautiful picture of our king in scripture. How, how does a holy God relate to someone unholy like me? Behold, my servant, God says to us. And then this picture of Christ, we certainly want to carry in our hearts uh, so that we might be encouraged ourselves to remember him rightly. We are so prone to forget or to remember wrongly the enormity of what Christ has done for us, his people, in his servanthood. And so we have this picture to, to keep with us and, and, and to cling to. Behold, my servant, says the Lord. And we know those words from Isaiah refer to our Jesus because Matthew tells us this in his gospel. We're in Matthew chapter 12. And you, you recall, if, if you were here last week, uh, that we are in that portion of Matthew's gospel where the opposition to the ministry and person of Jesus Christ is increasing. Um, Matthew says that the, the Pharisees took counsel together against him as to how they might destroy him. Verse 14 of Matthew 12. Why, why would they take um, counsel, plot, scheme against Jesus? Well, as you know, by the time we get to where we're at in Matthew 12, um, God's anointed king, Jesus, has conducted himself in a way that fulfills this prophecy of Isaiah. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew has said. God born into humanity to save his people from their sins. And, and in this um, saving work, there, there is great power. And so we've seen Jesus heal the sick and we've seen Jesus liberate the, the demon-possessed. And he's, he's even commanded creation, the, the wind and the waves obey him. And Jesus has raised the dead. And Jesus has taught like no one has ever taught with the authority of God himself. And all of this power displayed in Jesus and, and all of this um, earthly popularity, let's put it that way, gained among the common people, not the leadership, but just the, the, the common people in Galilee, kindled tremendous jealousy among uh, the, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, among the Herodians, the, the political leaders. And so they plot to kill Jesus. Further fueling their anger is Jesus' claim to be the Son of Man. What is that all about? Well, this is an, another prophecy from the book of Daniel, the, the Son of Man, the, the, the divine king whose, whose kingdom and, and reign will never end. Jesus says that's 
That's me. And so there is this plot from the religious leadership and the political leadership to kill Jesus. And I want us to just notice how our king responds to all of this. Look at verse 15. But Jesus, aware of all this, withdrew. Many followed him and he healed them all and warned them not to make him known in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed, a bruised reed, he will not break off, and a, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. In the name of Jesus, the nations will hope. And I want us to just notice what Jesus does in response to this opposition and in response to, um, I guess you could say, the superficial enthusiasm of, of the multitudes. Notice Matthew says that Jesus is aware of this all, verse 15, and he withdraws. Jesus is omniscient. He, he knows all things. He knows what's going on here, what's bouncing around in our minds, all of that sort of thing. He knows that these um, pious, legalistic, religious leaders in their jealousy are plotting to kill him. And Jesus is all-powerful. He, he's omnipotent. As was mentioned earlier, we saw this in Matthew's gospel. He, he tells the wind to hush up, and it does. He tells the, the, the Sea of Galilee to, to, to be still, and it is stilled. And yet he withdraws from his enemies in Galilee. And, and, and you just have to ask yourself, why? What, what are we learning about God's servant in what we see here in Matthew's gospel? Well, God's servant will not engage in ill-timed conflict. This is not the nature of Christ at all. And this is neither weakness nor fear. It's simply not time yet for the cross, is it? In fact, if we were to fast forward in, in um, the, 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 the narrative of the, the, the life of Jesus on earth, Fast forward to Gethsemane. You remember reading of the, uh, the, the, the armed uh, group that comes to arrest Jesus and um, who, who are you looking for, Jesus? And he says what? This is one of these talking in church things. He, he says, I am he. And what happens to him? They fall down as if they're dead. Just in the presence of God the son in his humanity. So this is, you know, Jesus withdrawing is nothing to do with a lack of, of power. It's nothing to do with a, a lack of courage. It's, it's simply that he, he's not going to engage in an, in an ill-timed conflict. Um, Jesus also then warns um, the, the multitudes who are enthused about him, though arguably for the wrong reason, 
not to make him known. Many followed him, says Matthew, and he healed them all and warned them not to make him known. Why? God's servant will not indulge in crass celebrity. He's, he hasn't come just to be a, um, a, a popular person from an earthly standpoint. Not concerned about how many likes he's getting on Facebook. Jesus did not seek out or even passively encourage any kind of celebrity culture. Not even to soothe himself in his humanity against all of the the criticism and the opposition. He's not come to win a popularity contest. Though no man has influenced humanity, as has the Son of Man in his humanity. Amen? Now, why do I mention that? Because we're sent out into the wide world now of, say, Hayden, Idaho, to represent Jesus. What is Jesus like? Well, we have a picture of him here in in Matthew's Gospel. How different is Jesus from any other king, any other leader in human history? How different is Jesus? Um, Even from some um, charged with representing him in the world today. Doesn't it seem to you that that among um, some of God's people today, uh, we are really quick to engage in conflict? We just want to win the debate. Doesn't it seem to you today that among some of God's people, uh, there, there is a, a, a willingness to just sort of settle for popularity? We, we, we make, um, you know, popular, uh, I would say, almost idols out of some of our political leaders. And, and this even kind of creeps into the church itself, doesn't it? That kind of a mindset we have... Celebrity Christians. It sounds weird to say that, doesn't it? That's because it's wrong. That's that's my point. Um, Behold, God says to us today, behold my servant. He's not like that. God's servant is not combative. God's servant takes no delight in mere Earthly glory, a fan club, vain glory, the scripture would call it. Why does Jesus respond the way he does to the pressures that he's experiencing here in his humanity in Matthew 12? Well, you've got to gaze at this picture God gives us of his servant and just keep looking at it. And I want to encourage you to just continue looking at the text and I'm not just saying that so that you'll stop staring at me, although that is a, that is a side benefit of it. Um, keep looking at this picture of Jesus, and we're just going to see the wonder of this servant of God. Jesus does all of this, says Matthew in verse 17, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. And so Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy uh, from 800 years prior to his birth. In Isaiah's day, God showed his people a picture 
if you will, a portrait of his servant, his people's king, his people's deliverer, but, but the picture had no caption on it. I'll be kind of old school on you. The photo had no name on the back of it. You know what I'm saying? They would recognize him simply by matching the picture, Isaiah 42, with the person when they saw him. You're hearing this. And in Matthew's gospel, the same portrait is now shown. God the Son, in his humanity, stands before people, and now there is a caption. Now there is a name on the back of the photo, if you will. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He is the one Isaiah sings of, if you will, in chapter 42. The one whom God promised to send to serve him and by extension serve his elect people. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. So we're just going to stare at this picture of our Jesus. What does, what does God reveal to us about our Savior? Well, one of the things we notice from the text is that Jesus is God's unique servant. And people ask you, who is Jesus? There's something you must know about Jesus. He's unique. He's, he's singular. He's, uh, th- 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 there's none like him. What do I mean by that? Well, elsewhere in Scripture, lots of people are described as God's servants. Did you know that? Sure you did. The the word servant, as it turns out, is a very important word in your Bible. In Isaiah's own prophecy, God refers to Israel's King David as his servant. In Isaiah's prophecy, God refers to um, believing Israel as his servant. Quick example, Isaiah 41, God says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, seed of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have strongly taken hold of from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Sometimes this this, this idea of God's servant is, is an individual, like, like King David. Sometimes this servant is a, is a, is a, is a community, like, like Israel. If, 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 you, if you go further back in, in history and, and just think of the whole account of, of, of Adam and Eve and, and what happened at the fall, you know, Adam and Eve were created to be God's servants. Mankind was to reign over creation as God's appointed regents. How has that gone? I mean, that, that's, that's the story of the fall, right? I'm mentioning all of this because by the time we get to Isaiah 42, which is echoed now in Matthew 12, um, Matthew ascribes that prophecy to Jesus. God uses this word servant, and this word servant links Jesus to all of the people of God down through human history. In other words, Jesus is God's representative servant. Like none other. 
unique. God's servant, Jesus, is, is, a, is, is human, fully human, someone who in many respects is, is like us, like the people of Israel, like, like King David, if you will, like Adam, and yet he's the ideal servant, isn't he? Unique in that way. He's, he's come to be the second Adam. He's come to do what Adam failed to do. He's come to be the, the ideal Israel. What ancient Israel failed to do, he's come to be the ideal king, the ideal person of God. And how would God's people know that his servant had come? What, what, what kind of person should they be looking for? Well, don't be looking for someone who's quick to fight and walks with a swagger. That's not Jesus. I should say, that's not God's servant. Don't look for someone seeking after fame, contenting himself with, you know, just platitudes and a, and a solid fan base, that sort of thing. Look instead for one who is Lord of all, yet does not lord it over all. Look for one who has come to serve, not be served, one who's been chosen by God for this very purpose. Think of this. Jesus is the unique servant who has come to serve God perfectly as no other servants of God have done. If you behold Jesus from any angle, look at the picture from any angle, and you see that in every part of his life, he is the ultimate, unique servant of God. And notice that Jesus has come to accomplish God's unique task. Again, don't stare at me. Just look at the, the text. I'm not making this stuff up. The word servant simply means to minister. Jesus has come with, with ministry to do, a task to do. And, and in verse 18, we read, he has come to proclaim justice to the Gentiles. I mean, what a scandal that would have been to, to first century um, Jews in particular. They, they thought they had the inside track on being right related, rightly related to God simply because they were the, the, the descendants of Abraham. Verse 20 tells us that God's servant has come to lead justice to victory. In other words, there's an outcome that's already assured. And that word justice is not merely to do with legal matters, although it, it, does, it does include that, but it's a, it's a very broad term. The king, God's chosen servant, uh, Jesus has come to bring the whole world under the authority of God. Do you realize that? Now, that's the big picture of Matthew's gospel. God has sent his people a king. Who is the king? Jesus is the king. And what has the king come to do? Well, it's a, it's a small thing, really. He's reclaiming God's world and God's people for God's glory forever. This, this is salvation in the widest sense. It's not just to do with you. It's not just to do with me, though it, by God's grace, it, 
It, it includes us, um, the, the, but this, this task is global. It, it, it's to go to the ends of the earth, Isaiah says in his prophecy. All people will thrill at the word of God one day. And so this, this is his unique God-sized task. It's a, it's a task that, that only God can do. Again, we're, we're still looking at the picture. We're still looking at the servant. Adam couldn't do this. Adam failed. And think about it. Adam and Eve failed, and they had a perfect world to deal with. They still blew it. Israel couldn't do it. And she was blessed with... Uh, the, the law and the, and the prophets and the, and the sacrifices and, and, and all of God's good favor. This God-sized task is to be accomplished in humanity by this chosen servant with God's unique empowerment. The text says Jesus has empowerment like no one else in their humanity. Verse 18, I will put my spirit upon him. Jesus is unique in his ability to accomplish all that the Father has given to him to do. He has the spirit in fullness. John 3 says this, for he whom God has sent, Jesus, speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Think about this. The the Spirit comes into humanity uh, in Christ, um, and and you see in Christ that the Spirit coming into humanity um, doesn't make people goofy. That's not the measure of whether um, the the, the Spirit is present. Um, The the Spirit hasn't come to uh, somehow enable your or my personal goals, you know, outside the will of God. He's not come to um, anoint um, our our New Year's resolution, you know, necessarily that sort of thing. Um, How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? Well, I'm... I'm going to be someone who's governed by God. I'm going to be someone who's seeking the rule of God within me and around me. And it's, and it's um, awkward to, to hear Jesus described in this way. That's why I keep saying Jesus in his humanity. How many of you know Jesus is not sort of human and sort of God? He's, he's fully God. And, and, he, and he's fully human, right? Everything Jesus did in his humanity, he did under the influence of the Spirit of God. You see, like what? Like nothing else. Like nothing else. He is unique. God's unique, empowered servant. And, and so Matthew has, has shown us Jesus perfect humanity, doing what? Living only under the influence of the Spirit of God. Every thought, every word, every deed, including his reactions to those who hate him. 
including his reaction to those who are excited about him, but for the wrong reasons, for incomplete reasons, just, just to, be, to be charitable to the multitudes. He is relentlessly focused on pleasing the father. And so the father says of, of his son, his servant, verse 18, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. And Jesus heard that at his baptism, didn't he? Didn't he? And I don't mean to belabor this. Some of you are giving me that look. And I know what that means. How long are we going to be on this stuff? A bit longer. A bit longer. Think of the reasons why we stare at pictures sometimes. That's, that's why we're doing this. Our king, our Jesus... Is, is, is too beautiful for just a quick glance. And I, I think I've heard this before, that, that kind of thing. We sometimes say a picture is worth a thousand words because portraits can show us not only you know, what somebody looks like, but, but even personality, right? And, and so does this portrait of Christ, God's servant. He, he comes to people like us in such a unique way, a unique manner, couldn't think of another way to say it. Personality, maybe, just a, a unique way of, of, of dealing with sinners like us. Look at verse 19. He will not quarrel. Anybody here quarrelsome? Jesus isn't like that. It says right here. He, he will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed, a bruised reed, he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. That, that word that is translated cry out uh, speaks of someone who, who complains of injustice. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't shout back at those who treated him or his followers unjustly. In fact, even as he was being crucified, God's servant said, Father, again, the talking in church thing, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. Um, how different is our Jesus from some of us? who make complaining about injustices real or imagined, a sport, a, a recreational activity. Jesus did not shout from street corners of, of his greatness, though he certainly was entitled to do so. Remember in, in Matthew 4 when that we read uh, Jesus being led of the Spirit, how interesting, out into the wilderness to be tempted of, of, of the enemy, Satan. And Satan says, hey, Jesus, what, if, you're the, if you're the Son of God, why don't you, why don't you throw yourself off of the, um, uh, the pinnacle of the temple and the angels will come and, and rescue you and all of the thousands of people at the temple will, will see all that and it'll be, tr be a tremendous boost in PR. I mean, I mean, just think of it. Think of what people will be saying. Jesus is not interested in that. Jesus' method of worldwide conquest is, uh, he's not a showman. He is humble. 
And in humility, he has come to rescue um, weak people, people battered and bruised as they live under the curse of sin, people who are uh, bruised by the sin within them, the sin around them, people who are, are weak within themselves, incapable of, of restoring themselves to God, and people are struggling with the, with the crummy advice they keep getting from their, their, their religious leaders who say, well, you just, you just need to work harder and try to do better and better and try to make yourself right with God, and it, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. And how will Jesus regard those kinds of people who come to him battered and bruised that way? Well, a battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. I want us to just let that phrase, Jesus leading justice to victory, be the kind of the, the last glance, the last gaze at this picture of God's servant. And, and, I, and I want to do so by way of just suggesting some applications to all of this. We, it, it would be a, a sad thing, in my opinion, if we were to gaze at this beautiful portrait of our Jesus and, 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 and turn away unmoved, uh, t- turn away unchanged, right? First application is simply this. How will God's justice be satisfied in your experience? I mean, if you, if you move from the big picture stuff to the, to the, uh, the microcosm that is you and your standing before God, uh, how will God's justice be satisfied with respect to you? But, but because the thing of it is, is God's justice demands repayment for your transgressions against him. Mine too. Your sins against God. My sins against God. Demand justice. So how will that happen? Well, what what has Matthew been telling us in um, his own words and in his record of Jesus' words? You you must run to this servant. You, You run to this Jesus who came to do what the first Adam failed to do. Who came to do what Israel failed to do. What David failed to do, a man after God's own heart, still was not a king like our Jesus. And you come to this servant of God uh, who, who came to please God in every aspect of his humanity so that God is now pleased with all in humanity who come to his servant by faith. Have you come to Christ by faith? Didn't Jesus preach the gospel this way? Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I'll give you a lecture. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a sense of what your penance is going to be. I'll give you a sense of how much harder you'll be able to work and, and therefore so, No, it doesn't say that. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest in your soul. Matthew has already told us this by quoting from another one of Isaiah's servant songs, Isaiah 53. Why did Jesus heal the sick and liberate the demon-possessed? Listen to Matthew's... um, commentary, I guess, on on Isaiah 53. In order to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. God's word there is referring to the infirmities of our soul. The the, the disease of of sin that uh, permeates every, every aspect of us. Every one of us is touched with this disease of sin, and and, and it's eternally fatal, this disease, in hell, the scripture says. But God's servant has come to to complete this unique task with, with his unique empowerment. By taking your soul's infirmities, your your sin disease soul's um plight, if you will, upon himself. That's, that's what that bloody cross of Calvary is all about. The scripture says he uh, um, became sin for us. He was treated at Calvary as if he were guilty of all of our sin, though he is the sinless one. He made him who knew no sin become sin that we might have the righteousness of God in him. Are you glad for this? Later in Matthew's gospel, we'll hear Jesus say this, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is Jesus' ultimate service. And so, so I simply ask you this morning, are, are you among the many? Because we, can, we could end this thing the way we started it. Why, why did Jesus come? Remember that statement? It's, it's global. It's big. But, but it's also narrow and focused to you. Jesus has come to bring you under the authority of God. Jesus has come to bring you into obedience to God. And to bring you into the enjoyment of God. Do, do you enjoy God? Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You say, well, I've heard all this before. It's not to do with that. Are you trusting in this Jesus? Second application. And the others aren't as long, so don't, don't get discouraged. Um, as Christians... We need to look at this picture all the time, not, not just on Sundays. This is how we preach the gospel to ourselves. You mean we need to hear the gospel too? Just every day, just every day. It's not enough to simply understand gospel facts. 
as important as, as that is, we have to wake up every morning and live on the promises that are ours because of our king's sufficiency, because of what God's servant has accomplished for us as his people. God really has sent his servant into this world to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? And you say, well, wait a minute, because I still see some of the works of the devil. I see them around me for sure. But I even see them within me sometimes. And you, you see this, this sin in the community, and may, maybe you see it in your family. Maybe you even see it in our church. And you might be tempted to despair. It's just that you've got this picture in your wallet, right? You've got this portrait of Jesus in Scripture to cling to. He will lead justice to victory. It's, it's not a maybe. It's a definite. In fact, it's, it's put in Isaiah uh, as something that's as good as already happened. Christ will make right everything that is wrong in this world one day. Do you believe this? Everything that's crooked will, is to be made straight. He will make everything right that is wrong in you right now. He was chosen and tasked and empowered for this purpose. Just one last application. You know, when I would, um, you still with me? When I would show those pictures to my coworkers, and I don't know what they said in private, but to, but to my face, um, every once in a while, before they initialed them, they would... Um, they would, they would say of a picture of our son, oh, oh, that, that looks like you, and, or, or our daughter. You know, that, that expression, that reminds us of Pam or, or whatever. Um, because the pictures, obviously, parents of your kids show others a little bit about what you're like, too. And, and as we look at this portrait of Christ in Scripture, we're, we're also being shown what God's people are meant to look like in some measure. You care if this is practical for a minute? It isn't just David and Israel and Abraham and all the rest who are called servants of God. You who know Christ as Savior and King are called servants of God in Scripture. Me too. What is a servant but someone who carries out the will of another? So you see how complicated this is? Is that your life? Carrying out the will of another. The will of God. The, the, the entire church, the Israel of God, the scripture says, um, we, we are God's servants. And so, so the, the true church is, is a servant church indwelt by the same spirit who empowered and enabled God's ultimate unique servant our our Jesus in his humanity and so the world is meant to look at the church and get some sense of what our dad looks like does the world see in us that he is not quarrelsome and power hungry imposing his will 
by force. He, he has no need to do that. We see that in the, the example of the life of Jesus. We have no need to, to do that. Does the community see in us that God is not uh, contented by or concerned with um, simply earthly popularity? A fan base, that sort of thing. We, we don't want to do that as a church. God is not like that. Nor should we be. We're here to serve our community as our king serves us. So, so what would that look like? Um, he, he doesn't break the sin-bruised people who come to him, nor, nor should we. He does not snuff out and discourage those with, with weak faith, those whose faith is just smoldering a little bit, nor should we. And and he does all of this to the glory of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. So should we. And I sometimes think that um, among Christians, and let's just say it's not us, it's the first service people. Um, No, no, seriously, in, in the culture, among some Christians, let's be general about it, we've forgotten that we have one weapon the gospel. It's not the ballot box. It's not um, popularity in the culture. It's the gospel. Spoken, proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. God himself making effectual this radical change that happens wherever Christ is preached. And and by that, I don't mean everybody gets saved. It's just that whenever people hear of Christ for the first time, um, they can't stay the same. Jesus, we'll we'll see this in the the next verses we look at, Lord willing, next week. Either you're for me or against me. There's no tweeners. There's no tweeners when it comes to Jesus. That's not an option. And so we preach Christ. And, and, and you ask yourself, well, how long do we do this? I mean, given what we see happening in the world today, given what we see happening in our community today, uh, how long do we do this before we just stop and switch gears and start kingdom building the way the world builds kingdoms? Well, just look at the text. We do this, says Isaiah, says Matthew in verse 20, until he leads justice to victory. Remember, the word justice is a really broad word. Everything that needs to be made right will be. Everything in you that uh, is not as it should be, one day will be. This is a for sure. He will lead justice to victory. The hope of the nations then is Jesus Christ. And so says verse 21, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So we look at this picture of our king, of our Jesus, and we keep looking at it because we want to represent him rightly in the world. And we keep looking at it because he is beautiful 
and because he has saved us and because we want to stand confident, not in ourselves, but confident in the victory that he's won for us as his people. Amen? Okay, well, that, that's it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this, this wonderful picture of your servant, our Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much that you sent your servant into this world to do what not a one of us could do, what all of us together could do. You, you have won our salvation, Lord. And you've promised to complete, to perfect the work that you've begun in us. Lord, let us be those who live in the direction of this great promise. And Lord, you have promised that one day all the nations will bow their knee to you. There's, there's a great sifting that's coming. Sheep and goats. And Lord, the sheep delight to be reminded of this day that is certain when you come again and your kingdom is established in its fullness, never to end. Lord, help us to live confident in you. Help us to live in the direction of this day. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.